I apologize if I was like making weird faces there. I'm trying to watch basketball <laughs> and like in the other room. It's just like, your face. We know, yeah. Mike. It's just your face. <laughs> well, it probably looked like I was actually uh, forming a thought. Normally, when you're just talking to me on a podcast, Dave, I'm just totally blank. I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. It's true. It's true. I'm always looking to see if he's nodding, and there's like nothing there. It's like talking to a fucking wall. <laughs> Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay, okay people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah! Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Are you enjoying the view? You're very good at decorating that tree. Why are you messing with me? Did Crumpet put you up to this? I'm not messing with you. It's just nice to meet another human who shares my affinity for elf culture. <laughs> I'm just trying to get through the holidays. Get through? Christmas is the greatest day in the whole wide world! Please stop talking to me. Uh-oh. Sounds like someone needs to sing a Christmas carol. No way. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Thanks, but I don't sing. Oh, it's easy. It's just like talking. Except louder and longer and you move your voice up and down. I can sing, but I just choose not to sing. Especially in front of other people. Well, if you sing alone, you can sing in front of other people. There's no difference. Actually, there's a big difference. No, th- no, there isn't. So that's the secret. It's just like, oh, there's a game on right now. Yeah, yeah. That's how you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's a commercial, so I'll try to reserve all my elf comments for the commercial breaks <laughs> and then won't respond. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's perfect. <laughs> so joining us for this uh, holiday-themed episode, we're, we're going to do like the movie studios. We're going to release this way in advance of Christmas. Like It's like November 1st. That's when you release your holiday episodes and... Then we're just going to keep shoving it down people's throats on Twitter and social media. For that, we have our, uh, I guess, going to be our Christmas expert. So I'm saying that having no knowledge of this guest uh, and his feelings on Christmas films. But since this is our first holiday episode, William Lindis, thank you for being our expert. I've nominated you. Do you accept this challenge? I accept the challenge. Thank you so much. I will uh, wield my candy cane with pride. You know what? Uh, I do not have anything. I do have a glass of milk, though. I didn't realize that. I'm I'm in the spirit of it, strangely. More so than me, I feel like I should be wearing a hat. I need milk and cookies. I need some like Christmas music going on right now. I have none of those things, so um, I was ill prepared as Christmas expert. Well, we would be one of those uh, that those hated uh, group of people that you know we're recording this before Halloween. So if we had our Christmas set up already, I think you know that's that's poor form. So, mm-hmm. but. We're ready for the holiday season in podcast form. Tell people about your podcast over at Movie Bears, what you all have been talking about, and where they can interact with you. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I'm with the Movie Bears podcast. Uh, We're a trio of what we call husky, hairy, huggable homos who talk about movies every week and have since, uh, uh, gosh, going over five years now. Um, We are 250-something episodes deep right now um, and uh, enjoying every moment of it. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Movie Bears Podcast, YouTube. We record our episodes live every Monday night, so you can um, come join the conversations there as well or connect with us on Twitter at uh at mb podcast 
I wish I could say the same, but uh, we're not that far along. And I don't think Dave, uh, I don't think we're going to make no. it. So no, <laughs> with that, five years. <laughs> it's, nah. With with that optimism, <laughs> let me turn it over to my co-host to introduce uh, this week's film. Yeah, that's the perfect lead-in. Sure. Um, so, Elf, which is thought of as a Christmas classic by some, and Will Ferrell at his most obnoxious by others, is actually a movie that, for once, fits in pretty well with our show. Now, there is, of course, a romantic subplot, but I think really the relationship between Buddy and his birth father fits the standard rom-com structure on its own. But I think we'll talk about a little bit of both. So we'll start with the meet-cute. So when Buddy first arrives in New York, he is mistaken for a Christmas gram by co-workers in his father's office. After telling his father, Walter, played by James Caan, that he is his son, he is immediately escorted off the premises by security. This leads him to a department store where he has a few awkward interactions with Jovi, played by a pre-new girl, Zoe Deschanel, who, despite his lack of social graces, decides to take him up on his offer to, quote, eat food. Uh, do you have a connection to either of these relationships right away? I'd like to turn it over to our guest first. Uh, this is a really, really fun uh, exercise and way to think about this film, because I'm one of those weird people that absolutely loves this movie for um for all the absurdity that it is um i sometimes have a problem with overly saccharine christmas movies because they don't feel like they they kind of reflect my own natural cynicism i also have problems with uh, christmas films that are overly ironic and cynical and don't capture the spirit of the holiday and i feel like this one sort of walks the line right between the two but as I was rewatching this and getting ready for uh, this, um, I was paying attention, especially to the relationships. And um, there's definitely some things that uh, make you raise your eyebrow when you think about them critically, um, specifically the fact that we've got a remarkably developmentally challenged adult as he appears to both the father and to Jovi, you know, a man who is 30 years old, believes he's a Christmas elf, um, has the joy and the um, kind of emotional range of like a, what, like a nine-year-old child. Um, and so that's what kickstarts both uh, primarily you know, our romantic relationship. And when viewed through those lens, it really made me pause and kind of rethink like, hmm, how does this work as a romantic movie? <laughs> Just you made this so much more disturbing. I didn't even think of it from that perspective. Uh, but Mike, what yeah. about you? What was your reaction to these uh, these partnerships going on? Well, usually I'm the one that comes in to d defend anything that's disturbing, uh, especially since this yeah. show is called The Grand Gesture. <laughs> I have to take up for what is uh, not really fashionable now, which is these really loud, obnoxious, uh, sweeping statements of romance. I don't guess that's here, but you know they do start us off with probably. Uh, the creepiest possible meet cute as far as uh, when the romance starts proper, which is, of course, Zoe Deschanel in the shower at work uh, mm. at a, for a department yeah. store, which I thought was... And he's just sitting outside, like, just hanging out. I kind of put that <laughs> more on the filmmakers, that it's, a, it's yeah. a pretty big stretch just for an awkward meet cute, because I was like, what? Is she coming from a gym? Do they not have a shower there? Is she come from a second job? Why is she showering at the department <laughs> store? Uh, I really could not get over that, but they do sweep it under the rug, as William sort of already expressed. Our elf character here, Buddy, is just so helpless and so naive. I guess there there is no threat. There's no danger. There's you know you're assured that he has 
no intentions of like even probably like kissing well, even their first kiss she has to basically right. handle him so i guess it's actually flipped this is the maybe the first time on this podcast where all the disturbing bits are the people possibly taking advantage of buddy and especially like his, yeah. playing with his feelings Ugh. in a way so uh, i don't know if i can uh, i don't know if i can defend that i, I think the new girl <laughs> she needs to move on <laughs> she's you know punch her own weight a little bit but it is sweet it is sweet <laughs> yeah um, it's, it's interesting in watching this movie again. Cause I, you know, I've watched this movie a couple times, uh, because I once had a partner who really liked this movie. So it's kind of forced to sit through this more than once. Um, and that, that first introduction between him and Jovi is real rough. Uh, cause you do know that he, like you said, he means no harm. Like he's totally innocent, like almost obnoxiously. So, uh, but her introduction to him is first thinking that, he is staring at her ass while she's decorating a Christmas tree. And then he sneaks into a shower, a shower area to like spy on her in her, in her estimation. So I, I, I'm not sure the movie really does the work for us to, to buy in. Like we have this like montage later in the movie with them hanging out together and her agreeing to go on this date, but I'm not sure the movie ever really does the work for, for me to get behind this partnership at all. Uh, and I think that's why I think the more interesting uh, relationship is between Buddy and Walter, uh, because I, I think it's interesting. We we understand Buddy's excitement about meeting his birth father, but we also understand Walter's reaction to, as you mentioned, this this man child who's stumbling through his life, just kind of ruining things left and right. <laughs> and it's interesting because I think the movie wants us on Buddy's side, but there are definitely moments in the movie, especially early on, where you kind of get where Walter's coming from, and everyone's being nice to Buddy. Except Walter. Walter's kind of like, he's the only one who really sees kind of how disturbing this all is. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs? It's me on the intercom. Go ahead. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad! <laughs> all right, uh, let's get it over with. I-, I walked all day and night to find you. Uh, you look like you came from the North Pole. That's <laughs> exactly where I came from. Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah, sure. He uh, just got off the cell phone with me. You did? So, go on. Go on with what? Well, I, are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? A song? Uh, yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm here with my dad, and we never met. And he wants me to sing him a song. <laughs> and um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. Wow. That was weird. You know, usually you guys just, uh, you know, put my name in the jingle bells or something. It's me, your son. Susan Wells had me, and, and she didn't tell you, and, 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 and but now I'm here. It's me, Buddy. Susan Wells. You said Susan Wells? Yes. Who sent this Christmas gram? What's a Christmas gram? I want one. I think we should call security. Good idea. I like to 
whisper too. I mean, that's one of the things that happens fairly early on in that relationship. Like right after the meet cute, he he sends this uh, present to his father, and <laughs> the present because he thinks it's the uh, perfect gift to give a loved one for the holiday is for like someone negligee, special, right? For someone special is a negligee. So imagine, <laughs> imagine this from his perspective. A man comes in, dressed up in an elf outfit, says, I am a literal elf, also I'm your son from 30 years ago, and then the next day he sends you lingerie. Like, we already... We I already heard about <laughs> Yeah, we, we heard about one restraining order in this movie already that the uh, um, the, the workplace puts on him, uh, on Buddy. Um, I'm, I'm really surprised that in Jovi and in the father's relationships there weren't two more slapped in there, because at, at this point in the film, like, I don't... I don't understand how quickly the characters are able to turn around on him. Like the scenes kind of end abruptly, like buddy's weird. And then it moves on. <laughs> Can you imagine like um, the gift or uh, enduring love? Like one of those sort of like twisted, like obsession movies where it's like you meet a strange person and then things get worse. You could easily turn Elf into a horror film that way, where it's like people entertain this notion <laughs> for too long. They've encouraged Buddy for too long, and now someone's dead. Probably Joey. Oh my gosh! Yeah, with a can again stabbed by a candy cane. Like I think that uh, this we have this like long string of like uh, Christmas themed horror movies. Most of them pretty schlocky, and I think that this really is the setup for another great one. Um, stalking her outside the bathroom, like that scene literally ends with her screaming "Get out!" and then it cuts and it leaves, and we never come back to the fact that her second interaction with this man is alone. While she's showering and him right outside, <laughs> that really should be a call the cops. That really should be a mace to the face type scenario, and it isn't, and it's not really addressed. A lot of things aren't addressed, like why, buddy? You know, why did he sleep over at the mall at the at the, the store? Why? <laughs> why, yeah. why do people just assume that like, he should be there when clearly he keeps doing really weird things? Like no one asks, like who who is this guy? What is your name, sir? Who are you? Like who who and hired also, you? Clearly, his outfit doesn't even match the other elves. They're all given they're all given these like store bought outfits, and he shows up looking like an actual elf, but like yeah, close enough. You look like an employee. Come on over. We've never seen you before, but whatever. They just, they just think he's he like Tracy Flick. Employees, he's just like the A-plus student. <laughs> he's the ultimate go-getter in that department store. Well, the boss even has a line on the, the second day of work, because the first night he does the, you know, if we're talking grand gestures, there's one that sort of happens there where he, he does that giant overhaul of the store and makes everything beautiful, and, and Jovi is sort of like, hmm. This guy's got depth, weirdly. Um, but the <laughs> boss then comes over and <laughs> the boss then comes over and says, "Oh, corporate sent someone just to uh, to kind of outshow us. I wonder who it could be." Directly to Buddy, the guy that showed up the day before and isn't on his payroll and doesn't look anything like his other employees. So this boss isn't exactly working like with the full Christmas tree either. <laughs> Did either one of you have an issue with the casting of Zoe Deschanel, who is? I'm assuming meant to be like a jaded type. You know, she's someone that she doesn't want to sing in front of people, even though she's got a great voice. Uh, she's so, somewhat bitter yeah. about her job. <laughs> you know, she's working in a place where, you know, if you kind of lean sarcastic or droll, probably should not apply to work there. Like, oh, <laughs> or move on. It's like a bad match. <laughs> but I was wondering, do you think that the part is a bad match for her sensibilities? And maybe that's just me looking back on her like um, new girl style, but it is weird yeah. to see her sort of so underplayed here. 
Yeah, I think that's probably more of a revisionist history situation. I think she actually plays the part of like the kind of the snarky girl very well here. I actually wish the script allowed her to do a little bit more. I wish they would have allowed her to go a little bit darker. Uh, but it was like it was. It's one of these movies. That <laughs> How dark do like, we oh, need we this to be? To go. <laughs> Well, give me give me the beginning of Gremlins instead of, instead of this. Yeah. That would be great. Um, but I, I feel like the movie just has it has a very specific goal that it wants to reach. It needs her to get to a point where she loves Christmas and Buddy's got to like reunite with his family and be with his girl. They got to do that all relatively quickly. I mean, nobody wants like a two hour and forty five minute Christmas movie starring Will Ferrell. Like that's that's a bit much to ask. And and I think it she she works here because at least for me because. I think this film really needed, at least for me, to have that whole, like, the initial cynicism and then sort of the, like, giving in to the holiday spirit type thing. And, I, yeah, we could have seen a little bit more of that. Like, we could have seen her honestly kind of resist the Christmas spirit a little bit more, um, which I guess is, you know, if we're looking at the two relationships, probably the role that the father is meant to play a little bit more. Um right. She is a talented singer, and part of you know two major parts of this film involve her singing. So I get that. Um, I think this also kind of works. And you had mentioned at the beginning, like this is sort of like a role reversal type thing. You know, she really is the um, you know like the kind of the cynical, more grounded person who probably got this job to make ends meet. I think there's plenty of people I know who have gotten jobs at like whimsical places that weren't necessarily whimsical people but it paid the bill and then along comes him as this sort of like manic pixie dream elf type character that she has to then work (laughs) off so uh yeah i mean i've not necessarily loved her career into uh like new girl and things like that but i kind of liked her here that brings up a kind of a good point uh are there many other manic pixie dream men or boys Elves. on screen just in general like I, I hadn't thought of it before but is Will Fer- I mean does Will Ferrell deserve to be etched on the Mount Rushmore of Manic Pixies along with like your only Natalie because Portman's. there's four or less <laughs> I feel like the closest analog you maybe get to this but I don't think it exactly works because the character is less of like an ideal and more of like a schlub is the um, unattainable hot girl meets the uh stoner comic type guy like think like a seth rogan ish type movie um i think that um you know that's the type of thing but again it's not quite the 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 manic pixie you know like the the over quirky idealized version it's just like someone batting outside their league i'm sure it exists it's just it's not coming to me right away mike i feel like we've covered a movie that has a manic pixie dream boy and that's titanic everything that leonardo dicaprio does really is in service to the growth of winslet's character so I think we don't think of it that way because it's like this like big, huge romance. But that's essentially his role in that movie is to make her life better, both as he's living and after his death. Like it's all for her. And, then and he def- <laughs> freezes to yeah. death. Yeah. <laughs> but he does so in service of her. Like he, he teaches right. her how to dance. He teaches her how to love. He teaches her how to speak bit you know like all of those things yeah yeah, the spitting scene like that's the type of thing that a manic pixie dream girl whatever you know would teach someone to do the whole like um the the garden state thing of like screaming from the top of the the cars that type of that type of trope like that's what the spitting scene was in titanic so yeah i think that's a good one i think you all need to stop now because you're you're making me like really like titanic with all these like i'm like yeah that's all the spitting that is awesome that is that is great (laughs) 
All right. So in order for Mike to retain his masculinity and not and not like Titanic so much, we will move to the breakup. You got. Uh... Dad, I'm in love. I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Buddy, uh, not now. Uh, can you please go back to the uh, to the pit? I'll come visit you in a little while. Okay. I didn't know you had elves working here. Boy, you're you're hilarious, my friend. He doesn't. Uh, get get back to the story, please. <clears throat> so on the cover above the title. Does Santa know that you left the workshop? You know, we're all laughing our heads off. Did you have to borrow a reindeer to get down here? Buddy, go back to the base pay. Jackweed. I get more action in a week than you've had your entire life. I've got houses in L.A., Paris, and Vail. Oh. Each one of them with a 70-inch plasma screen. So I suggest you wipe that stupid smile off your face before I come over there and smack it off. You feeling strong, my friend? Call me Elf one more time. He's an angry elf. So much later in the film, Buddy inadvertently insults a children's author, played by the now famous Peter Dinklage, by calling him an elf repeatedly. And at this point, Buddy's father snaps. He screams that he doesn't care about him um, or the fact that he's his son. So, of course, as you would, Buddy runs off very hurt by all this. So as this happens, are we fully on Buddy's side or do we understand where Walter is coming from and the stress he's under? I totally understand. I think this is one of the rare forced breakups in a, a love story of sorts that I totally get because Buddy comes in and is just as, I mean, unwittingly cruel. He's so totally ignorant to it. I mean, it makes sense for him and his world. But, yeah, what he's saying, if you applied it in a different walk life, if he was saying something incredibly racist or sexist, you would totally understand right. why someone who, you know, his father, this is his business, would not only say to protect his, his professional interests, but also be like, that is a horrible thing to say. You need to, you basically need to check yourself. Like you are no longer right. at the North Pole. This is a family film. And so it is played for laughs. And I do like that he also gets his ass beat here. I mean, it's a very funny yep. sequence in that Best regard. Best in the movie to me. But it, it is something to where, yeah, James Kahn is normally not a very likable screen presence i mean he's like hyper masculine and aggressive and this is an instance where i'm like i actually feel strangely neurotic for james con and i never thought i would say right. that where I, I feel nervous for james con like how is he gonna handle this <laughs> but he's somewhat powerless to stop buddy's <laughs> stupid elf mouth like <laughs> what can he do in that instance <laughs> It's kind of how I feel watching this movie kind of consistently. Um, I, I feel like this scene, like, strangely does not fit. I have a problem with this scene because the rest of the movie, yes, Buddy does stupid things and he ends up insulting people accidentally. But when people tell him to stop, he usually does. Like, he's not out to hurt anybody. And repeatedly this character says don't call me this and he keeps saying it and you're just like what an asshole <laughs> like even if you don't even if you think that is really true like maybe like don't be a jerk and if someone says hey i don't like that don't call me that maybe don't call them that so i am like fully on james con's side in this moment like yes is he unnecessarily harsh yes like you're not my son i don't care is way too much but given the pressure he's in that he might lose his job and not take care of his family i kind of understand where he's coming from and i think it it creates kind of a problem in the movie because we are supposed to really feel bad for buddy in this moment and when 
when James Conn, which we'll talk about later, you know, does his grand gesture like, oh, well, then he finally, you know, does the right thing. But I'm not sure I really believe that. Yeah, it's it's challenging because the buddy character is well, this is a character who's, you know, he doesn't know social norms. He doesn't know what it's like to live in the real world. But what he does know is he's grown up with 30 years of living under the oppressive shadow of the naughty and nice list. Like this is a character who should know more than anything else. Just like don't be a dick to people or Santa will write it down. Um, and it would be one thing if he said like, if, if he had come in and said, oh, are you an elf too? And then uh, Dinklage like flew off the handle and that was it. But because he multiply, uh, multiple times tried to correct him on it and Buddy just kept going into it, it did feel out of character for him. Um, I felt for James Conn here. I mean, this is a character who has only known this Buddy character for a few days. Um, and, and yes, I mean, it's his son and he, he knows that by now through the paternity tests. But it's also a, a a new adult male who's just come into his life a few days ago. He's under this deadline where he will 100% lose his job, which is 100% his ability to support his his wife and his kid that he has been raising for the last several years. Um, and the, the Dinklage character in this is not only his... Um, like his his lifeline to this 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 idea but he's also someone that we saw in a previous scene he respects quite a bit like they're all going like oh he's the best writer he's the best idea guy and so for like this dude to come in and just start insulting him like imagine if someone came in like that you've known for a week and started insulting your like hero or your legend or someone you look up to to their face repeatedly like you'd be pissed off about it so yeah i i don't feel that this breakup was unwarranted it was maybe a little harsh of course but you know again it's it's over yeah yeah yeah. it's like you don't cast james car james con to have like a very sweet tender moment i mean it could have been worse it could have been like the scene from godfather where it cuts to them on the streets and he's like hitting him with trash cans (laughs) just being a trash can yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know what guys we keep making this movie better (laughs) that's a dark twist (laughs) but i think you know there are a couple things that make us side a little bit with James Conn. One is that, you know, there's the important distinction that it's not that he uh, got like a lover pregnant and then abandoned them. He was totally unaware of this person and he doesn't even seem to doubt it that much. Like early on, you see him, you know, pulling out like yearbooks and sort of thinking back and be like, Oh, could I, could this actually have happened? Like, you know, he's, now admittedly like the when he gets the christmas gram that gets very strange and weird all he says is that's weird <laughs> like you know <laughs> please stop strange man stop telling me you love me and calling me daddy which i think is totally normal um but Fair. the you know the the other thing is he's also the one that keeps telling everyone else i think there's something wrong with this guy he believes us from the North Pole, and everyone else is like, "Ah, oh, just just fucking let him do his thing. He likes to eat sugar, and yeah, he can live with us." Like his his wife is totally cool with it, and he's the one that's like, "I don't know about this." So I feel like this is the point where all of the things that he's been afraid of come to pass. And so yeah, sure, he gets he gets to blow up one time. He's he's been pretty good. He he tried to tuck Buddy in. He got a tickle fight. Yeah, a tickle fight, yeah. Dave. Of all things, that that was what he got paid back with <laughs> was a random tickle fight. I mean, uh, this guy, uh, granted, again, there is a paternity test, but he's still a, at least from this, the James Conn character's perspective, he, this is a grown man who has some sort of, like, 
mental issue. Like he has this this fantasy that he believes in um, that is not grounded in reality, at least at this point in the movie through Khan's eyes. Um, and as soon as the paternity test says, yeah, he's he's my son. He's like, all right, guess he's going to stay in my house with me tonight. So that's a huge <laughs> like risk. Like his son that's slept nice in the next room over. Like you want to go dark? Like, you know, this could have got oh, this, this could have been like a home invasion thriller like that. Yeah, true. And you bring up the paternity test a couple times, and John Favreau is very enjoyable in that role. But I love that his reaction is like, well, he's probably just, you know, he's probably just re-experiencing what it's like to be a child. And, like, it's totally fine. Like, you shouldn't go see a therapist for this. You shouldn't go to the hospital. It's just like, is this a pass? <laughs> Do you feel he was uh, overstepping just slightly there? Like, family doctor? A little bit. A <laughs> little bit. It's yeah, like a whole absolutely. community of enablers. Absolutely true. All right, so now we move to the grand gesture. So there's kind of two grand gestures here. Uh, With the help of his other son, Walter does manage to track down Buddy in New York, and he apologizes, admitting that Buddy was right about a bunch of things, specifically about kind of his work-life balance. And the fantastical grand gesture comes into play as Walter is introduced to the real Santa Claus. Walter's son ends up appearing on the news to help the public believe in Santa in turn, will help the sleigh fly. Additionally, Jovi shows up, and listening to Buddy's advice from the beginning of the film, she spreads that same Christmas cheer by facing her fear and singing in front of a crowd. Um, so back to our guest, do these grand gestures work for you, especially given your issues with the breakup? Yeah, I think at this point, um, if there's anything that does really kind of like sink back in and kind of work for me, it it is kind of the grand gesture, the the kind of the back third of this movie or so, because at it, you know at its core, this is a Christmas movie, and so part of that genre, that style of film, is just this kind of over the top sensation and feeling that Christmas spirit, holiday joy, all of those things will overcome whatever problem there is. Um, you know, despite all of the uh, the kind of the mental illness slash like kind of creepiness from the first half we get to kind of experience that and it's more pure form here um save for kind of a weird um city park rangers thing um but what was that I, that was uh, so bizarre and, and, and ill uh described um and unnecessary too and like, unnecessary none of that yeah. is needed it's like if at, at some point in the script writing session, they're just like, gosh, we need a threat, a villain. Who could show up in the Central Park <laughs> Cops right on horses. now? Cops on horses. Done. Next scene. Um, but we get to see singing. And like, you know, and, and in this case, it's it's a very pure um, holiday spirit type thing. We get our character who wants to overcome um, her fear of singing in public. She has to do so. Um, she gets the crowd singing. And that's a very Christmassy thing. You know, think carolers. Mm-hmm. Think just like singing with family. Like these songs are such an ingrained part of our culture that, you know, you, you can't help but hear them and kind of get that like, you know, that that festive feeling so in terms of the grand spirits there or the grand gesture um i'm all on board and then even the james con part where he then doubles back around and like hey you're the sun the sun is saying hey you're not uh singing along you're just mouthing the words and he finally gives in and sings and then that's when santa shows up and all of that like this is where the, the movie kind of recaptures me this is when it does what it's supposed to do which is it's done it's it's lightly cynical stuff you know whether it's good or not you know it, it, it's fumbled a bit there but when it comes back around and and tries to bring joy again I think this is where it's, it's a little more effective Mike yeah I'm not for uh, public displays of affection in particular singing so 
No. That's fair. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really work for me. It it doesn't become a totally different movie, but it does have to shift gears fairly dramatically because we have to lose the fish out of water element now. Like everyone else is entering Buddy's world. So you lose pretty much what you've pinned all of your comedic beats on up until like the last 10 to 15 minutes of the film. I mean, yeah, I like, I like James Caan, you know, he takes his little stand in front of his son that he knows. I, I don't want to say actual son, but the one that he's been aware of. You know, the right, one. right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's, that's a nice sort of family film moment. Uh, just him showing up basically. I don't know if I'm totally comfortable with the idea that, James Conn needs to do more other than put his career on the line for his child to then show up and basically embarrass himself. This is like, and maybe this is a problem with doing a podcast called the grand gesture where we then see like this sort of, you know, stubborn old man, somewhat set in his ways that really doesn't like to show this type of emotion being, you know, strong armed by his kid, by his wife, by a crowd. Being like, come on, son, won't you show a little bit more Christmas cheer, old man, you old bastard? Like, you know, I'm just, <laughs> just, I'm just, I don't. It's a weird, uh, it's a weird holiday bit of peer pressure that we have here. That is it's like uh, if someone forced someone else to hold the uh, the radio over their head at that point. Yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, it's not coming from himself. So I will say that uh, Jovi singing, I'm totally cool with. I mean, it's you know. It's it's her, you know, she's reclaiming some part of herself publicly. That's fine. I don't know if I'm totally comfortable with James Caan. Because I, I just imagine my father who, like, I've said more words on this podcast than he's probably ever said to me in his life. Like, he's just a man that doesn't have too much to say. He smiles. He laughs. Not a big talker. And just imagining him being strong-armed into singing Christmas carols you just, just walk away deeply uncomfortable <laughs> for me so maybe I'm just I'm I'm projecting my father in the James mm-hmm. Conn role and I'm just not not cool with it see I have the exact opposite reaction to these two grand gestures I like the fact that James Conn ends up getting called out by his son because what his son is telling him is you're just going through the motions which is what he has been doing as a father for this kid's whole life like this is a way to prove that he's willing to do more to be better it so won't end there really dave don't be naive <laughs> the kid's uh, gonna ask for more this is just the start of yes, the shakedown it, it is like nine years of pain i think he deserves a little singing um and you know of course i like hearing zoe deschanel sing she's got a beautiful voice but i wonder if that takes a little bit of the risk in the kind of um this grand gesture away a little bit because from the very beginning okay we know she doesn't like singing especially in front of people but we also know she has a gorgeous voice so it's not this huge risk and granted it's a movie i don't really want to see uh someone who can't sing belt out christmas carols at the end of this movie but i do think it takes a little bit of the edge away from that fear that we know as an audience she's going to sound great so there's not a lot of risk inherent in that act i think that's a better scene too if she could not sing if she was horrible, I think that's a that is the Christmas comedy moment I want to see, where it's where everyone just has to be like, "Well, <laughs> it's Christmas, so you're great." It's like wincing through it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's yeah. the holidays. Okay. We <laughs> can't wait to Easter. That. Don't have to have any of the singing bullshit. We'll just crucify the Savior again and call it a day. <laughs> So you don't want to see Bunny, the sequel to this? <laughs> no, no, do not. Um, oh. I, we do kind of get the, uh, the 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't even want to know about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but we do get to see Mary Steenburgen. and I think she has the kind of the bad singing um, yeah. thing there, you know, because she's the first one to join in with Jovi. Um, which I think is kind of a neat grand gesture in and of itself. Like um, she's seeing this woman who, and I don't remember, I don't think she'd met Jovi before that. Um, or if she no. had, it had been in passing, you know, so, so she just sees this random crazy woman stand up and start singing. And then she's it's like, Hey, this is what I, I need to join in. And do this it's stuff. nuts. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm in, I'm on. Um, so I mean, there's a there, there's that gesture there. I, I think you absolutely hit a, a hit on a really good point that I hadn't even considered before. That I think the father's grand gesture really came earlier in this movie when he walked out of that pitch meeting. Um, I think that that was a, that was a pretty pivotal moment. It's the first time in the film where he's chosen his family over his career. Um, so it is kind of weird that like. He isn't singing. Imagine if instead, like, uh, you know, it's not my job to rewrite the movie, but here I go. Um, if uh, Jovi stands up. Whole show. Yeah, <laughs> right? Boy, stop now. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so instead of, uh, so Jovi starts singing there at the end. Instead of the mother being the first one to sing, if the James Conn character is the first one to kind of step in and do it and sort of helps get the crowd going. I think at that point, we get to see their two storylines, their two arcs. Um, they're, they're both, their gestures sort of coinciding with one another. And it would feel more genuine at least in terms of what the movie wants us to feel so maybe that's how i would it would remove the uh bullying element which is which makes me slightly uncomfortable since you know buddy got his ass kicked for bullying (laughs) this great author and now when james con is bullied we're supposed to cheer for this i don't know not i love how mike usually is the like pro bullying voice on podcasts like bully kids more and now like <laughs> now that james Todd is getting bullied by a kid it's an issue it's interesting like you just don't like kids i think is what the what this is telling i've us. seen the good son they're not to be trusted <laughs> Never. fair enough all right so the other thing we like to do on the show is try our best to apply the lessons we learn from movies to our own love lives or see if we already have done that so, Mike, is there is there any lesson you can take from this movie that you've either applied in your own love life already or that you should? I mean, I, I certainly think that one should encourage their loved ones, you know, your partner, what have you. And in that regard, you know, Buddy encouraging Jovi to sing and, you know, saying, oh, you're great. You know, you should pursue that. You know, it, it makes you happy. I think you should keep doing this. That is certainly something that one should do. Maybe not to the extent that Buddy does. Maybe you should have a. Uh, hopefully, you have a little more awareness. You're not from the North Pole. You've met human beings before. You're not just dealing with these, you know, fairy tale creatures. Puffins, yeah. Not, yeah, right. Um, but sure, yeah, I think you know because in Buddy's defense, he you know that doesn't really do anything for him. I mean, you know, it's him. It's not like he's trying to start like the next great rock band. He is not. A good singer you know he just thinks it's fun to do and he's no. saying embrace embrace it you know especially since you're good at it you should do it more than me and so yeah i think that 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 would be what i would take from it sneaking up on someone you're interested in while they're in the shower at work no yeah don't no. take that um, lesson and if you do That's overhear them one. singing in the shower and you like it maybe wait until you catch them humming when they're closed at work and that's when you comment on it right that would be so yeah, <laughs> yeah some restrictions apply the, to the this, other part this encouraging yeah. role sure 
that's that's a good call. I think for me, the thing that kind of applied most is being willing to embarrass yourself or face fears for your partner. I think that's a really interesting way to because that's essentially what Jovi does here. Is she does not? I mean, she may end up enjoying this and she may be facing her fear, but she's not doing this for herself for her own growth. She's doing this to to support Buddy, this man for some reason she cares about. Uh, and I think that's a that's a really good lesson to take from this is that. You know that embarrassment you you may feel um, is is kind of trivial and it passes. But the 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 feeling that your partner gets from you being willing to take that step will last a lot longer. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely this feeling of like opening oneself up, not cloistering themselves. Because I think that I mean, and it's it's a very it's a very real thing uh, that a lot of us do, which is um, we we sort of dull our own edges when we're out in public. You know, like if we are, if we're really passionate about something, we're not going to like come across like the biggest super fan. We're going to be like, oh, I'm kind of into that, too, to test the waters. Um, if <laughs> right. we're interested in someone, we're not going to say like, hey, let's go have coffee. We're going to do this whole like, oh, hey, you know, kind of like circle the edges. And and I think <laughs> that at a certain point, like, you know, obviously we should not follow people into the bathroom. That is 100 percent wrong. You should not do that um you should not um send people lingerie unsolicited um that no is no exceptions to that william none uh, like i'm gonna zero. say i'm gonna say Man. that that falls well outside of the <laughs> the boundaries of consent um but <laughs> but what if it's I, your I dad think... if it's your dad it's fine <laughs> especially then especially <laughs> dad uh, send, it, send it to mike's dad just for the laugh yeah I think that might be worth it see if we get a few words <laughs> But I think there's just this feeling of like, you know, like open yourself up to joy, embrace happiness, um, spend more time with your family. Um, There's this thing that happens a little earlier in the movie, and it's it's a gesture. It's one of these big over the top moments. And unfortunately, the uh, the recipient isn't there for it. So it doesn't quite fit the structure here, but um, it fits very perfectly with, I think, the theme of the movie. And it's when. um, uh buddy goes into the office and he says i'm in love i'm in love and i don't care who knows it like that big like that declaration of just like the things that make us happy i think is a good a good lesson to take from this nice i think that's the perfect place to end this episode so William, one more time, why don't you tell people how they can follow you on twitter and listen to your great podcast with which both of us listen to Oh, awesome. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, so we're the Movie Bears podcast. Uh, We record every Monday night on YouTube, so look for us there. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook. We post all of our stuff there, uh, Movie Bears podcast. Twitter, um, at MB Podcast. Uh, Check us out on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. And you can connect with me personally on Twitter as well, at Whatever Cove. And if you'd like to connect with us, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Grand Gesture Pod. You can find the show on iTunes, and if you have already, I hope you've subscribed. And if you haven't, uh, please do so. Consider it our uh, Christmas present. doesn't cost anything, just a click. As for the next episode, you can click on... You can also find it on followingfilms.com with Dave's other podcast, Pop Culture Case Study, and my other show, Projecting Film. Our next episode here on The Grand Gesture will be on, you know what, Titanic. Let's... Take a closer look at the manic pixie dream boy, the great spitter that is Leonardo DiCaprio. That probably sounds far more sexual than I intended, but you know what? Fine. I'm excited to watch it for the first time in 20 years. 
mind if I'm moving? At least I'm gonna say that I tried. What's the sense of hurting my heart? I really can't stay. Baby, it's fine.